Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to our show. This is Joyce Bender, the host of Disability Matters. And let me tell you, I want to begin by thanking all of you again and again and again for your ongoing support, for all the email we receive, for all the phone calls, as I've said before. Best listeners in the world are the listeners to this radio show, Disability Matters. We have made so many friends and so many people who are working every day of their life to try to change the way people feel about the inequalities that exist toward people with disabilities, and, of course, treat us as we should be, with freedom and dignity. As many of you know who listen to the show, you know that I myself have a disability, epilepsy, and a hearing loss, and it was such a great honor for me many years ago to be asked to sit on the board of what I consider one of the greatest companies, the institution, the Institute for Transfusion Medicine, but specifically... I'm on the board of the Central Blood Bank right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And as time went on, I got to meet this wonderful man, Bill Bernison, who is the Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine, who is one of those rare individuals who on his own made a decision that he wanted to try to bring on the employment of people with disabilities. And here we have him today as our guest. Bill, welcome to the show. Hi, Joyce. Thanks for those kind words. I appreciate it. Well, Bill, before we go any further, could we start? If you don't mind, we have listeners throughout the world. Could you tell them what the Institute for Transfusion Medicine is, how large it is, and where it's located? I'll do that. The Institute for Transfusion Medicine is headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It primarily consists of two large blood banks, namely the Central Blood Bank of Pittsburgh, which those of you who uh, are familiar with Pittsburgh, knows it's been around for 50 years, and a large blood bank in Chicago by the name of LifeSource. Between the two blood banks, we employ just about 1,350 people, and we collect over 400,000 400, units of blood annually. Uh, when you think of, just to put that in perspective, when you think of blood banking in the United States, uh, there's, there's two entities that, collect blood. There's the American Red Cross and then everybody else. And everybody else are the independent blood bankers of, uh, of this country. We are the third largest independent blood bank in the country. And I am so excited to be on the board of the third largest. I truly am. Um, and Bill, you've already stated how large they are. Here, here in Pittsburgh, how large is the central blood bank? We have uh, 500 people who are engaged with um, activities with Central Blood Bank. Um, just to, if, if I may add to that, um, every donation results in three separate products. It's either red blood cells, platelets, or plasma. And we, we ship over 400,000 products to Pittsburgh every year. Is that right? <clears throat> well... Bill, if someone is listening to the show right now and they want to make a donation monetarily to the blood bank, how do they do that? That's a good question, Joyce. I'm not sure how they do that. I think well, they just write a check to the Central Blood Bank of Pittsburgh. I would say that's what they do. Do you know, Bill, what the website is? 
for the for the blood bank? Yeah. It's itxm.org. Okay. Well, then you know what? If you get itmx.org, <clears throat> you probably can get information right from there, and then just send a check. Yes, you can. And may I tell you that this organization is so great. The people there are so great that it is a worthwhile investment. And I will talk later on about the disability part of this. But you know there are people who have disabilities every day of their life due to, you know, hemophilia, whatever it may be, but also who survive because of donations given to them from the blood bank. And I know uh, since I've joined the board that I guess I never thought about it before, but when you're donating blood to the central blood bank, you really are at times saving someone's life. Uh, and I wondered, Bill, if you could give us an example of something like that. I certainly can, Joyce. The um, exciting thing about working here, I joined the Central Blood Bank organization, the ITXM organization, five years ago. And I had come from mostly industry, and you, you, you must realize it really gives you a good feeling that when we ship a product, it's going to a patient. It's not a, it's not a product that's going into uh, steel for a a refrigerator or anything like that. Uh, we have a recent promotion, which is our June promotion that's called Meet Heather. And I'll just read it to you quickly. At 30 years old, Heather never expected to be diagnosed with a rare life-threatening blood disorder, a plastic anemia. This is a disease in which a person's bone marrow fails to produce the three types of blood cells needed to carry oxygen to the body, prevent bleeding, and fight infection. Although she's not cured yet, because of the generosity of blood and platelet donors, Heather has been able to return to work as a physician. There's a picture of her in her wedding dress and her uh, her husband. I believe it will be on the billboards in Pittsburgh uh, this month. That's just one of many, many examples of how we save lives. And you know what? <clears throat> this, I actually want to write an article about this for the blood bank, but I hear this all the time, but I really live this. Uh, in the past few months because my father uh, had hip replacement surgery. And, wow, everything went really great. I mean, my father's 80 years old, and I'll tell you what, first of all, if you see him, you'd never believe he's 80, and he's a hard worker and still gardens and in good shape. And he had the fastest recovery from this hip replacement. But what happened is they had given him also these injectables, but did not realize that one time he had had bleeding ulcers. So, you know, my dad's at home recovering, and I went up to visit him, and when I went up one night, oh, I couldn't figure out what happened. He looked very pale, uh, you know, and I said, Mom, what's going on? And we didn't know. We called the doctor. He had been doing so well, and he really looked really in great distress. <clears throat> when I called the one doctor, he said, look, don't wait. Just send him. Uh, by ambulance, get him to the emergency room at the hospital. And when he got there, he had lost internally so much blood, he was needed like five pints of blood. And when we got there at the hospital, the doctor told my mother, <clears throat> we either do these transfusions right now or, or he won't live. And thank God he, he is alive and had a miraculous, again, recovery, thanks to the fact that they were able to give him this blood. And when I was there, I told the doctors, you know, that I'm on the board of the Central Blood Bank and that here I am living one of these real-life examples 
of how blood can save your life. And, and let me tell you, that people don't realize this, but, you know, when you have surgery, you have frequently have blood given to you during surgery, and any, anyone in your family at any time could go through something where if it were not for an organization like the Central Blood Bank, that, you know, you could lose someone in your family. So I say this because when you're listening to the show, especially if you are a business person, the greatest thing you can do at your company is get a drive going for the Central Blood Bank because you're doing something where you're not spending a dime, but you could be saving a life. And that's what I think is so absolutely phenomenal about the blood bank. <clears throat> and, Bill, we work pretty hard, don't we, to try to get more and more companies to start a drive? Yeah, we sure do, Joyce. It's, uh, it's increasingly difficult to get donors to uh, present. Uh, only 5% of the eligible donors actually give blood, uh, the ones that do, to do a great job. But we, we really have to find a way to convince more people to participate in this program. If, if you think of the things that we can do medically today that we couldn't do 10 years ago or 15 years ago, such as knee replacements and shoulders and all those types of things that we can do, on top of, of saving lives, this is one of the most powerful drugs um, known to medicine, which is blood and blood products, and we need all the help we can get. Are you saying, did you say only 5%? Yes, like the number one, two, three, four, five, yeah. that number five. Only five. That's terrible. Even I didn't realize that. And I'm on the board. That is absolutely terrible. That is. That's that's. But that's what it is. It's a, and it's difficult. We we are um, uh, diligently searching for donors all the time. But even at uh, our our best efforts, we still have to import blood from other parts of the country from time to time to meet our needs here in Pittsburgh. So we have to get our story out, and uh, hopefully your listeners will say. I think I'll make an appointment and uh, go down and donate some blood. Everyone says they wish they could do something worthwhile, something where they really feel like they're making a difference. You can. Go donate blood. Absolutely. You know, one thing you're doing, you can be saving someone's life. What a great thing. Like that story you told, <clears throat> not just about my dad, but the story you told, Bill, about Heather. Yes. I mean, what a great thing that is. And how great it is to feel as if you're part of something like that. That's wonderful. Again, if you're listening to the show, go out, donate blood. If you're working at a corporation, you're listening to the show. And if your company isn't involved with doing something like this, you should get involved. Here's a great way to get morale going in the company. Do something worthwhile. You're not spending a dime. And as Bill mentioned, whether you're in Chicago or right here in Pittsburgh, we're looking for people all the time. People, donors, and companies to get on board. It's very easy to do, too. I, I, I'll just give a short commercial, very short. The number 1-866-DONORS-1 will get you connected to someone who can help you make arrangements to make a donation. Okay, what's that number again, Bill? It's 1-866-DONORS-1. D-O-N-O-R-S-1. Bill, we're going to go to break right now. And right after break, we'll talk more about this to a really good friend and great man, Bill Bernison, the Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine. This is Joyce Bender, and you're listening to the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. 
the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Have you put down the morning paper in disgust because they weren't reporting what you wanted to read? Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Ricegott-Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media, like how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Rice Scott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation. So join us for the Ember Rice Scott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. If you have a question or comment for Joyce or her guest, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back to the show. We're talking to Bill Bernison, the Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine and a man who has worked hard to make a difference in the lives of people with disabilities. And Bill, before we talk about that, we advertise this show for several uh, weeks and or months ahead of time and we get emails immediately from our listeners throughout the world with questions they would like asked on the show. And we do have a question for you here and it actually, it is from Illinois, from Alinda in Illinois, and it says, uh, Mr. Bernison, I think this is so important what you are doing, and that is getting people to donate blood for people in trouble, such as one of my family members. A question I have for you is, 
why do you think it's so hard to get people to be willing to donate blood? I talk to my friends about this all the time, and, and I can't seem to get people to be willing to do this. What do you think the main problem is? I think the problem is, that I'll try to be brief, but I think the problem is uh, comes from two or three different places. I think of uh, donating blood in my lifetime, and I'm getting pretty old these days, so I can remember when someone in your family was operated on, the family was asked to replenish the blood. And then there just seems like there was a lot of time in my life that donating blood was not something that was in front of me. It was not something that was heavily advertised. It was just something that some people did and others didn't. When we go out and now and tell our story, and I already said part of it earlier about just think of the things that we can do medically today that we couldn't do 10 years ago, all of which require blood and blood products. Um, people are impressed, and they do, in fact, sign up to come and give blood. Uh, we, we use two methods. We send a mobile vehicle to a company and collect blood from volunteers from that company, and then we also have a telemarketing effort to get people to come to our donor centers uh, by appointment to donate blood. Unfortunately, in our donor centers, the, if we have 100 people scheduled for a day, we can bet that 50 will show up. It's about a 50% show rate. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but people are uh, busy in their workplaces, and I guess one of the easiest meetings to cancel is that appointment at 10 o'clock uh, where you have to leave and go to the blood bank and come back. It's, it's, it's asking a lot. We ask a lot of folks. We ask them to come to us to spend some time with us and then get back to work, and it's difficult to do. There are some extremely dedicated people who give blood every 56 days, just as regular as, as you can imagine, and it's just, in their mind, part of their civic duty. I think we have to do a better job of getting our story out, the value of what we do for the community, and how people can help their own community by donating blood. We're working on it every day and we'll take any suggestion we can get. But we, um... Well, <clears throat> Bill, we have another question here from someone in Boston that goes right along with that saying, uh, do you think, Mr. Bernays, and the main reason people do not donate blood is because of fear? I think that's a large part of it. Giving blood is extremely safe, uh, and getting blood donations is extremely safe because we, we are very, very quality oriented and we're heavily regulated by the FDA. Everything we do is by a process and a procedure. If you go back a few years when there was the big AIDS scare and uh, you know other diseases that uh, we think that uh, somebody gets a notion that they might get by some kind of an infection, even though it's not true, it, it hurts us. The second thing that hurts us in collecting blood relative to the, to the same kind of a problem is that every time there's some new thing that comes out, like mad cow disease, for example, there's another restriction on the eligibility base of donors. Have you been in, in, in the United Kingdom in the last 90 days, as an example? If that's the case, then you can't, uh, can't uh, donate. So it, it's, a, it's a diminishing donor base uh, and an increasing requirement for, um, for blood, but certainly we can do better than 5%. Well, and, you know, hopefully, Bill, and to all of our listeners, as, you know, you become more and more educated, you realize it's, it's not the way you're thinking. I do think people have this, you know, idea in their mind of a really 
terrible process they're going to go through. And as Bill mentioned, not only is everything very safe, but everything is regulated. So, I mean, this is a very, very uh, safe and easy process, and everyone is trained to the highest level to do this correct. Right, Bill? That's absolutely right. Well, Bill, why we wanted to have you specifically on the show is that you just really have impressed me. Here I live in a world where I, every day, have to fight to try to get people to consider hiring people with disabilities. And not only did you make a decision to promote the employment of people with disabilities, but you gave us you know, some really good ideas that now are leading into a really big thing where I've even talked to the Secretary of Labor in Pennsylvania about funding for training people in the area of health. And really, it all started with you. So um, for all of you listeners, this man, Bill Bernison, on his own for no reason whatsoever other than his own desire, you know, just made a decision he wanted to try to help promote the employment of people with disabilities. And, Bill, I have to ask you first, why did you do that? Well, Joyce, I am fortunate in that we have a board member who is very interested in these uh, kind of activities. Uh, her name is Joyce Bender, and thanks to her, I was exposed to a um, uh, an effort here in Pittsburgh called Project for Freedom, where people with disabilities are trained uh, and prepared for the workplace. And I was given the opportunity not only to see that in person, but to understand um, what it means to hire and, and keep in employment people with disabilities. But more importantly, I was uh, able to understand that what disabilities mean, and it does not always mean what we conjure up in our, in our mind as someone who is restricted in, in some way as to what they can do. And most importantly, I was and remain impressed, thoroughly impressed at the courageous effort that people with disabilities make to get themselves trained and ready for the, for the workforce. And what comes back to the employer um, is a very dedicated person, uh, and in our business, turnover is a, is, a, is, a, is a difficult problem for us, and people who are disabled and trained and hired, for the most part, uh, are good, solid, long-term employees. So it's benefit for the employer, Joyce, that... Uh, that turned my head, and I'm very interested in, in making our project work. Well, Bill, that's very nice of you to mention, you know, me, but and I do appreciate that, but let me say I tell a lot of people this, and it goes in one ear and out the other, but you were different. <clears throat> you really did something about it, and so that our listeners know, we have a training program in Pittsburgh called the Project for Freedom, training people with disabilities in information technology. However... As time went on here, we started thinking, hey, what about health care? What about lab work? Or what about other areas, whether you're a phlebotomist or whether you're working at a hospital? What about other areas? And, and at first, you know, we ran into, of course, as it always is, into some obstacles. But, you know, we really believed this was such a great idea that we went all the way to the Secretary of Labor. And now we have the whole state excited about this and, you know, we're working all the details out. But as I said, it all started because of Bill, and I just, uh, Bill will always remember that and will always think so highly of you. And not only that, it's because of Bill that people with disabilities and that he's been trying to get hired have even been hired now at 
central blood bank. So what we have to do, Bill, is clone you and figure out how to make other people <laughs> be like you. Thank you. I had mentioned on one of our other shows that some disability groups have had a problem getting past human resources representatives and in some cases say that that person is the barrier, but here you are, the exact opposite, a wonderful leader, an example of someone who makes it happen. Why do you think people at times are having a problem with what I refer to as the gatekeeper? I think that um, that is a direct result of a lack of knowledge about the powerful workforce that's available with people with disabilities. I think there are stereotypes that uh, people have in their mind about what disabled means, about what kind of restriction it's going to be, what kind of cost there's going to be, what else they have to do, accommodations, and all sorts of other things are the first thing that's thought of as opposed to what is the benefit for my company to be hiring and training people with disabilities. I don't know that there's enough champions out there, Joyce, um, that are it's kind of it's, it appears to me to be almost the same problem that we have here at the blood bank in convincing people to give donations. Uh, hiring people with disabilities, in my mind, is the right thing to do. It's the right thing for the community. It's the right thing for their company. But I really believe that uh, in a lot of ways the HR people are sort of the gatekeepers in trying to supply applicants to to hiring managers and. Uh, if they have these uh, these notions in their mind that, that people with disabilities are, are limited, uh, there's probably a reluctance to, to go down that path. I just I, I know I'm repeating myself. I just think it's lack of knowledge and education on the subject. No, no, but I think you're right, Bill. Because you also you have two things going on here. You have the person who is the you know gatekeeper who has to see okay who looks the most qualified for this job. Then you have the hiring manager that they're talking to. Many people with disabilities, because we have an extremely high unemployment rate, are unemployed in this country. So, of course, they're coming forward. They may have a four-year degree. They may have a technical degree. may have a Ph.D., but what they don't have is work experience. So, you know, you, you now have two things happening. You have to say to the hiring manager, I have this great person for you, but they're entry level. And, oh, by the way, they have a disability. <clears throat> so, you know, there's a lot of factors going on there. That's why I tell people you have to think of it the same way as you do when you hire a college student. You know, at different companies where they bring on internships. But I think at the end of the day it is this lack of knowledge uh, that is one of the, you know, main problems, unfortunately, that do exist in this country. We're going to talk more about this when we come back. We have been talking to a good friend, not just to me, but to all Americans with disabilities, William Bernison, Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine. This is Joyce Bender. You're listening to the Voice of VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back with Bill. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com 
At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Hello, this is Rory Goray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, please call toll free at 1 888 335 5204. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Bill Brenizen, the Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine. And before we went to the break, Bill, we were talking about, you know, the problems that sometimes people have when they are trying to get into a company or get past the gatekeeper and they are a person with a disability. And as you were saying before break, that one of the biggest problems is lack of knowledge and education, and I agree with you 100%. I know that you know, as we've already talked about earlier, we do have this extremely high unemployment of Americans with disabilities. What do you think, Bill, are these attitudinal barriers that are preventing people from getting employed? What do you think the problems are? Well, I'm going to pretty much go back to the the, uh, comments that I made earlier about lack of knowledge within the, uh, the the the, the uh, business community that um, when when you hire um, one of the things that you're doing is trying to take every precaution that you're getting someone who is uh, totally able physically mentally and everything else to do the job and, and, and will be 
a great candidate. And if you have folks who think disability equals shortcoming, then that's wrong. I mean, that's that's a wrong notion. But if if they're thinking disability means shortcoming, they'll be one of the reasons that it's very hard to get past either a gatekeeper or even into the front door. I think if we can find a way to to, to play up our success stories um, that people with disabilities have been able to do, and, and Joyce, you've told me some fantastic uh, examples of how folks uh, with disabilities have overcome uh, all the barriers to become successful, promotable leaders, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, We're just not getting the story out, and uh, I'm not sure I I have a notion as to to how we can solve that quickly, Uh, but there is, uh, I just think there's too many uh, folks who uh, take a, a negative context to the word disabilities. Yeah, I think that too, Bill, because we have employees working in information technology, finance, engineering, human resources, working with uh, great companies across the United States and with the federal government. And I think that, unfortunately, that frequently they think, if I hire this person, it's going to be difficult. It's going to cost me money or cost me time. And in the meantime, what they don't realize is if they hire an able-bodied person who is a prima donna and has a terrible attitude and doesn't appreciate work, they're going to have more problems than they ever envisioned. But I think, Bill, that word you use, precautionary, I think that this is part of the problem. Unfortunately, with some people, precautionary also includes, as you always say, lack of knowledge. So, you know, they're thinking the wrong thing from the beginning when they bring people aboard. I agree with that. And one question that we had for you from Maine is actually from a company saying, um, Bill, obviously you've been very successful in what you're doing at ITM. My question for you is, if you are in human resources and you have a hard time getting your staff to understand this, do you have any suggestions? Yes, I think that the first suggestion I would make is to find uh, a place where your staff can visually go and, 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 and see and feel the success stories, whether it's go to Project for Freedom and see the training that's going on there and, and the results of that, or it's going to Goodwill and seeing the people who are successful there, uh, or if it's going to an insurance company here in Pittsburgh that hires a significant amount of people with disabilities and listen to those supervisors talk about the uh, lower turnover, the higher quality work, the loyal employees that they have, and and see them being successful, that to me is the most direct way to get rid of the cobwebs in people's minds about uh, about disabilities. And I think that, that one thing Bill said, talking to other people, you know, no matter what I say, what, what can help the most is if I then can say, so go ahead and call Highmark or Bayer Computer Sciences Corporation. And by the way, here are the names of people to talk to at these different companies. When they hear it from someone else, I really do think it makes them feel better. Don't you think, Bill? Absolutely. I really do. And there are some cases where, you know, some people, they just have to see themselves.
before you're going to change the way they think. I know Bill has attended all the business leadership network events that we've had here in Pennsylvania. And if whatever state you're in, if they do have a business leadership network, the conference this year is actually going to be in Pittsburgh in November. But if wherever you are, if they have, uh, with the USBLN, just go to their website, USBLN, and see if they have a BLN or business leadership network in your state. That's another great way, you know, to get training and to get education. But most important, to talk to other people in the business community that already have been doing this and see what they think or what their opinions are. I think that's a great idea. That's that's what was uh, a significant experience in in, uh, in in my learning about uh, the value of, of hiring people with disabilities. Well, Bill, we do have people listening to the show throughout the world. What advice do you have for other human resources executives right here in the United States about the employment of people with disabilities? Be aware of the talent pool out there. Learn what is factual and what is uh, attitudinal. Do a pilot program. Tap into the uh, the talent pool and, and monitor your success. Most importantly, if you have an area where there are high turnover rates, such as we have in phlebotomy and telemarketing, etc., um, there is a very valuable resource out there that can help solve that problem and get those things done professionally and well. As you said earlier, um, if you have a uh, person with disabilities with a college degree and no experience, I couldn't agree more. That's just like hiring a trainee out of college, uh, which I was some years ago. Uh, you have to uh, learn the business. You have to learn uh, you know, where your skill set sets. And uh, a talented person is a talented person. Disabilities are not part of talent or uh, ability to uh, to perform. Well, and <clears throat> I oh, I agree so much. And Bill, I don't know why people aren't worrying more about the impending labor shortage that will occur when all these baby boomers retire. I know that right here in Pittsburgh, if you go to some corporations and you walk through the building, you're going to see a lot of gray hair. Yes, you will. <laughs> you're going to see a lot of people that will in the next five years be retiring. And as we all know, you know, there won't be the same number of people coming behind them as when I grew up. I know that when I was in school and I'm 51 years old, I know that a lot of my uh, classmates had like five brothers or sisters, you know, large families. But, of course, with women getting into the workforce, things changed. So now you're not going to have that huge number of people following behind. Um, so we're going to have a big labor shortage. And, and I often wonder why companies aren't more worried about that right now. It's not that far off. Well, the ones that are looking ahead progressively are worried, and that includes us. Um, I, I, I'll, I will tell you that if you walk through my office, you'll see gray hair, and I'm a little ahead of the baby boomers and about to retire, but the, um, the the fact is that in the next few years there will be a labor shortage, and not only in Pittsburgh, but I think uh, think nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's time to start planning now. Because if you don't plan now, five to eight years from now, you will think that Y2K was just like practice. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine what you'll go through trying to attract talent if you've waited that long, whereas... If you look now at this talent pool that exists of people with disabilities, 
you can start being ahead of the game. Why wouldn't people want to do that? It makes all the sense in the world to be. That's exactly where they ought to be planning. Yes, and the other thing is, remember, this is a labor pool that has been ignored, so you will have a lot of choices. You know, there are a lot of people out there. Just today, when I was walking outside my building, I met two young people uh, who are deaf, and they had stopped in my office because they said, you know what, we're looking for employment, and we just know that you're the only one that is hiring people. I said, no, that's not true, and I started naming all these other companies. Um, and unfortunately, I wish I could have named more than five to ten companies, but the fact is I thought, now here are people. This one young man had been driving all across Pennsylvania looking for work I, and, you know, wants to work so much. So, by the way, these aren't people who want to sit home. You know, they could sit home. They don't want to. They want to be working. And with that, we're going to go to break. This is Joyce Bender, and we're talking to Bill Bernison, the Vice President of Human Resources for the Institute for Transfusion Medicine. You're listening to Joyce Bender, the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to voiceamerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S. and www.BenderOfCanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.BenderConsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. My name is Maxine Thompson, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. In today's world, it's hard to find the truth with anything. Is there such a thing as the truth? Where and how can I find it? Will someone just give it to me straight? Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific for Mario Verdad, an exciting new show that will give it to you straight every time and tackle the truth behind everything from political issues and crime to vocational and career counseling. So log on and tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk, radio. Internet talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. If you have a question or comment for Joyce or her guest, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back to the show. And we've been talking to our good friend, Bill Bernison, the Vice President of Human Resources at the Institute for Transfusion Medicine. And before I forget, Bill, um, I love being on the board of the blood bank. I'm very proud. Uh, but maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about the culture of ITM. What is, what is it like there? Uh, the culture here is very interesting. It's, uh, as I indicated earlier in the show, that uh, blood and blood products are considered to be a very powerful drug for the medical community. And accordingly, we are regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, so we have to be following standard operating procedures in everything we do relative to the collection and manufacture and distribution of blood products. We are very progressive. Uh, we're looking at new technology all the time, uh, and we're very in- innovated. Uh, innov- excuse me, innovative. Uh, this, this, this seems a little bit at odds with the fact that everything is done by an SOP, but there are there's new equipment uh, that's, that's coming out in the marketplace uh, uh, that can increase our ability to manufacture blood products. So we're right on top of the, I guess, on the leading edge of, of technology and uh, are, in fact, considered to be, Central Blood Bank of Pittsburgh is considered to be one of the finest, uh, highest quality blood banks in the country, and we're very proud of that. And I can tell you that, my affiliation with everyone there has been just first class. Everyone, really a group of wonderful people and really, really committed to trying to save lives. And I just want to mention again, remember, you can go donate blood. Don't forget, you can go donate blood. Or if you're listening to the show and you work at a company, don't forget, it doesn't have to be a huge corporation. You can be a small company and still start a drive, right, Bill? That's correct. You know, I, I talked to someone one time, and they had the impression that only these Fortune 500 corporations can do this. I said, absolutely not. Small business community, you know, if we would get the entire small business community involved, we'd have the largest employer ever donating blood. So no matter where you are, it's a great program and a good idea to do something about it. Bill, what's that phone number again? One eight six six donors D O N O R S one. So when you're listening, don't forget and don't you just do it. Tell someone else. Tell someone else you know. Hey, I was listening to a show today. I know a way you could save a life. Let's go donate blood. Great thing to do. Bill, thanks to you, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we're working now with a huge group of people on this healthcare initiative. But I did want to just take a mention for you to repeat again. Right at the Central Blood Bank, you do have opportunities, frequent opportunities, as you were mentioning, in telemarketing and for phlebotomists. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, there's not as many for telemarketing, but certainly for phlebotomists, help desk people, and um, our lab workers. So, so if you're listening to the show, keep this in mind because... The key thing they look for at the Central Blood Bank is a quality person. And a quality person can be a person with a disability. That's the difference. The blood bank is putting ability 
first. That's the difference. This is a good organization. I want you all to remember that. So, Bill, you've done a lot of great things in your life, but what do you consider to be your greatest accomplishment? I think my greatest accomplishment, Joyce, is right around the corner. Uh, it, ha it hasn't quite happened yet, but I think it's very close. Uh, the project that we both referenced that we're working on to identify, train, and hire uh, people with disabilities to work in our labs and work uh, perhaps as phlebotomists, which are the people who collect blood, and on our help desk. Uh, when we bring that to fruition and get that started as a regular system, that, in fact, will be my most that will be the accomplishment I'm most proud of. Now, if you're listening to the show, you, you can see why I think so highly of Bill. Here's a man getting ready to retire, been very successful and accomplished already in his career, and he believes his greatest accomplishment is helping people with disabilities. And, and Bill, this has been a great accomplishment because it started with just an idea and now there's a whole huge group of people all the way to UPMC working on this. So I really am very proud of you, and you always will be, by the way, the one that really started this all, and I just applaud you for everything that you have done. Well, thank, thank you for the kind words, Joyce. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure working with you and, and your folks uh, on this project, and I, and I really hope that... Uh, we, we can see it to a, a, a successful end. And, Bill, you said that you are close to retirement. When will that be? October 1st. October 1st. Well, see, we have to October 1st to make all this happen. But, listen, don't forget this man's name, Bill Bernison. He's the one working to make this happen. He is truly a leader and a friend for all people with disabilities. But, Bill, when you retire, what are, what are your plans after that? Because well, I know I'll still be bothering you. Well, that's me bothering you. What will your plans be? That's fine. We're going to move to a retirement village in Florida called the Villages. It's uh, a little north of Orlando and a little south of Ocala. We've built a home there, and I plan to retire and uh, probably three months later start looking for something to do if I know how my psyche works. So you can bother me anytime. Oh well, we will be bothering you. Don't worry about that, Bill. Well, that's very nice, Bill. Now, do you have family down there, or is this just you and your wife will be going down? There? It's just my wife and I. Well, you'll be in much nicer weather than we normally have in Pittsburgh. That's for sure. I would hope so. <laughs> that certainly has been part of the draw. Although I was born and raised in Pittsburgh and lived here practically all my life, and I love the city of Pittsburgh. So, but it's just uh, it's a situation where uh, it's a retirement village with lots and lots of things to do and. Uh, pretty good weather to do it all year round, and so we're really looking forward to it. That's good. Well, Bill, uh, what message do you have for our listeners today? Uh, actually, I think we've said it, but I'll say it again, two words, please, three words, please donate blood. Uh, and particularly now, uh, in the summertime, it's even more difficult for us to attract donors. I guess that's easy enough to understand. People are out playing golf, doing other things, going on vacation, thinking about a million things that they can do in the summer. We need help. We need it now, and uh, we would appreciate uh, any effort any of you give to donate blood. That's interesting, Bill, that it's – you mean less people donate in the summertime? Oh, yes, significant. Well, June, July, and August are very difficult for us. Uh, as I said, people are on vacation. They're doing lots of other stuff, and uh, 
Uh, it's it's uh, it's difficult. The, the entire blood industry has that problem. This is the summer doldrums, if you will. Well, I don't want to forget this question that a listener sent in right here from Pittsburgh, and that is, Mr. Bernison, how often can you donate blood? Every 56 days. So that's what you meant. Remember before, if you were listening to the show, he mentioned there are some people that like clockwork every 56 days that they donate blood. Um, that's, that is the most that you're able to do. Isn't that correct, Bill? That's correct. Okay. And as Bill mentioned, remember, as far as the locations, you can call the number. What is it again, Bill? 1-866-DONORS, D-O-N-O-R-S, 1. Um, but in addition, as Bill mentioned, there are mobile units that go around to different places to donate blood, and this is usually advertised in the community, so you usually know about it ahead of time. That's correct. If you call this number, they can get you an appointment at a donor center, community donor center close to where you live or close to where you work. Okay, and another question we had, Bill, also from Pittsburgh is, um, what do you think a career would be like in human resources for a person with a disability? Oh, I think it would be great. I, the, um, I can't think of any restrictions on a person with disability relative to human resources. Um, we are, uh, and, and matter of fact, their, their perspective would, would be terrific because when you think about if you take ITXM, for example, we're all about people. We have 1,350 employees, and uh, those are the people who who, uh, who are the blood bank. The entry-level people here are phlebotomists, and that's who the public meets. And to them, they are the blood bank. They are salespeople. They are our emissaries. So the sensitivity to the needs of the workforce and the uh, desire to improve performance uh, is paramount, particularly in the blood industry, to be in HR. And I, I think someone with disabilities would be would bring a perspective that uh, would be extremely helpful. Yeah, Bill, I agree with you 100% because there's your way to change that gatekeeper problem. And with that, Bill, thank you very much for being our guest. It's been wonderful to have you. I always end the show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and today it's from former Governor Dick Thornburg, who said, the ADA is in place, but Americans must take the next step, open their hearts and minds, and change their attitudes toward people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, and you've been listening to The Voice of VoiceAmerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.